Hello everyone, I'm Claire Jensen and I'm coming at you from my house in Poolsville, Maryland, USA. Um, I'm entering my fourth year at the University of St. Andrews studying art history and I've been a member of KV for three years and a home group leader for two of them. And in that time, God has been so, so good to me through you all. I was supposed to have my first preach on Acts in March, um, but obviously due to um, the coronavirus, that didn't happen. But I'm so happy to be able to give it to you now. I'm also absolutely over the moon to be able to do one of my other favorite things, during this, poetry analysis, woo! <laughs> but seriously, as a person who loves reading and reciting poetry, the Psalms are some of my favorite passages in the Bible. And I found genuine um, encouragement in them since I was a little girl. So when Jim told me that this sermon series was on the Psalms, I was pretty psyched. Psalm 27 is one of my favorite poems and psalms and passages of the Bible. It's a declaration of hope and trust in the Lord, despite hardship, a reflection of God's sovereignty and protection in a situation that seems all-consuming. I found that to be relevant when considering the challenges of living in a pandemic a few weeks ago when I first chose this passage, and I find it even more relevant this week as my beloved city of Washington, D.C., as well as every other major city in the United States, is consumed with warranted unrest sparked by the deep-rooted corruption of individuals in power, anti-black sentiment, and the murder of George Floyd an innocent black man at the hands of a police officer, one in a line of many throughout our nation's history. These anti-black, racist sentiments are reprehensible and not Christian, no matter who and how tries to spin it, or who, who tries to spin it, or how they try to spin it. If you need a reminder that God is in control, just as I have this week. Here it is. God is powerful. He is good. And when you're on his side, he will protect you. Look for the Lord and you will find him. Wait on the Lord, because he's on his way. The wonderful David Clegg is going to read Psalm 27 for us from the NIV. And then we're going to unpack it a bit and really think about those last two verses. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will remain confident. 
One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At a sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. When my heart says of you, seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my saviour. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me in your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and await for the Lord. Be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. I almost feel like I could stop here and let everyone ruminate on that for about 15 minutes, and then Jim and Rachel can come up and pray, and we'll still have a fulfilling and poignant service. But I'm not going to do that. Um, instead, here's a bit of information ahead of the dissection of this psalm that's about to occur. Um, this is a psalm of David, but it's really hard to tell when it was written because David, even as a man after God's own heart, went through so much hardship. All of this talk about enemies and foes and being targeted is a common theme in his life. This is a point in and of itself. If nobody has ever told you this before, being a Christian isn't going to make your life easy. Your life will be hopeful and joyful and purposeful and productive, but not easy. Following God is not a ticket out of sadness or sickness, pain or torment, but a way through it. The Lord offers a constant hope and a knowledge that he is sovereign and good. He loves us. He is our stronghold. David writes so eloquently about this, not through peaceful illustrations, but images of violence, war, and hardship. There are a series of tonal shifts in this passage, a picture of the tumultuousness of emotions, what it feels like to be a human to love the Lord, but to still physically be in the world. Verses one through three 
signal a complete confidence in God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? These questions are rhetorical, obviously. Um, David is basically saying that he's not afraid of anyone, but somehow in a sassier tone, it it almost feels like a dare that nobody is ever going to take up. There's an assuredness in the Lord's power and ultimate justice that is almost cocky. And we can have that worldview too. A confidence that though the Lord's pow- that through the Lord's power, we can live day after day without fear, because He has conquered it. In verses four through six, David is expressing a desire for God's presence, a desire to dwell in the Lord's house, to be with Him in safety. To David, God's house, His dwelling place, would have been a tabernacle or a sacred tent, as he calls it. If you go through and actually look at all the names he uses for it, it's kind of hilarious. Um, It's like the inevitable thesaurus tab that I always have open on my computer every time I write an essay. He's using a bunch of different words to talk about pretty much the same thing. (laughs) Anyway, this tent that he's talking about, held the Ark of the Covenant and the very presence of God. So there are two parts of the tent, and and a heavy veil separates the Holy of Holies from the rest of it. And only priests are allowed to enter the Holy of Holies once a year um, to sprinkle blood sacrifice. And then outside of the tent, there's a courtyard where people can go in and give sacrifices um, after they're clean. It's way more complicated than that, but it's okay. Those are the basics. Um, There is a physical place that God's presence is, and David wants to be there. He longs to live there because where God is, his protection is also. He says in verse 6, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. To be in the presence of the Lord is worth giving up all of the things that you value with glee and gusto. And we don't have to be in a specific holy place to experience God's presence because we have his Holy Spirit, which can be with us anytime. We can walk in his presence and assuredness and the assured list in Excuse me. We can walk in his presence and the assuredness of the Lord every day because he is with us. This is a gift to be cherished and used all the time. In times of joy and in times of deep sadness and in times of confusion. God can be and wants to be present with us through it all. In verses 7 through 12, David offers up a prayer. It's raw and emotional. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. This is verse 7. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. 
You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. He's asking for the Lord to stay with him, to not abandon him, even though he's already stated the Lord's power and purpose in the first few lines of the psalm. He's asking for reassurance, though David knows that the Lord is on his side. He's asking for help anyway. When life gets difficult, when you are the object of suffering or oppression, or when you see it all around you and feel helpless against it, asking the Lord for help and guidance is the right thing to do. Despite what we know to be true, part of being human is requiring reassurance in times of trouble, and communication with God is the only way to build a relationship with him. If you are feeling abandoned despite the knowledge of God's presence and goodness, by all means cry out to the Lord. He is eager to hear from you, to heal you, to reassure you, and to give you hope, just as he is working in the world toward the same things. The final two verses of the psalm, verses 13 and 14, have been echoing in my head for a couple of weeks. They are, what I would say, an encouragement for the in-between times. I remain confident in this, David writes. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. Wait for the Lord. Look for the Lord and you will find him. Wait for the Lord. He's on his way. I've thought a lot about the practicality of these things how to look for the Lord, what it means to wait on him. At first I thought about looking for the Lord in nature, how the vastness of the sky and the ocean and the mountains are monumental reminders of God's power, how the petals of the flowers and the songs of the birds are reminders of the intricacies of his creativity and his care but then I thought, what happens when you are stuck inside, when you are bedridden, when you live in the pollution of a city or become numb to the beauty that surrounds you? What then? Why, God is everywhere. In the places where we don't think to pay attention, Pop artist Anun Karita Kent opened my eyes to this 
while I was researching her this semester for an essay. She saw the Lord everywhere because she was purposeful when she looked. So her works are brightly colored and completely influenced by adverti advertising images, typically associated with consumerism and excess and greed. Think Andy Warhol. So she took advertising slogans and gave them new meanings by thinking about them from a different perspective. Wonder Bread advertisements became symbols for Christ's body, for Holy Communion. In one painting, she uses the Chevrolet tagline, Come and see the man who can save you the most. Here, of course, she's talking about Jesus, not a salesman who can save you money, but the man who can save your soul. Her works are brilliant. They're funny. They're comforting. And they're present in the midst of a world that doesn't understand what is really valuable. Karita looks at something that is selling a false happiness and sees in it the light of God's grace. This is the way forward when we feel far from God. He's still there. We simply need to ask him for a change in perspective. As for waiting, at first I thought about a doctor's office waiting room, being unsure about when you'll be heard, when the doctor is on her way, how many patients are in line before you. But I don't think God works that way, being all-powerful and omnipresent. Waiting on the Lord is not an apathetic activity. We wait and listen, wait and speak, wait and worship, wait and feel. God is in the waiting. God uses you to build the kingdom in the waiting. It takes strength and courage, but it's worth it. And God will come. We are waiting now for peace, and we are waiting for a vaccine, and we are waiting for a day when black people are not targeted based on the color of their skin, a day when we can unlearn our racial biases. We are waiting for healing, and we are waiting for happiness, and we are waiting and waiting and waiting. And through all of our waiting, God is working. We are ultimately waiting for him to come and usher in his kingdom in its fullness. Always waiting. This does not mean that we stop working towards justice, checking in on our friends, going on walks, or sitting in silence with him. Waiting and life happen at the same time. And God is on his way.
So we ask, come Holy Spirit.